Hey guys, welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the best place on the internet to follow the world of men's professional volleyball. Hope you guys are doing okay, not going too crazy in quarantine. I know there's a lot of new lockdowns going on, but you know, there's silver lining. It's the perfect time to watch some good volleyball. We had a ton of great matches this week between Champions League, Italy, Poland. So in this episode, I'll talk about that. I also put a story on my Instagram asking you guys to submit some questions, got some good ones. So I'm going to go over those today as well. Hopefully you guys saw the story, had the opportunity to put your questions in. If not, feel free to email me or DM me on whatever platform. Ask me a question to be included in the podcast and I'll answer it here. No worries there. If you do not want to check Instagram every day in case I randomly decide to put this story up. Anyway, enough of an introduction. Let's get started with the podcast. First piece of news today is French outside hitter Julian Lineal is injured. And some of you might be saying, hmm, I, I, I didn't even know what team he's on. Was he even playing this year? And yes, he was signed to Vibo Valencia, the upstart team that we've talked a lot about on this podcast, way overperforming their preseason expectations right now, and doing so without Julian Lineal at all. So that was a little strange to me to see a lot of people reacting strongly to Lineal's injury. Uh, to me, probably wasn't even guaranteed that he was starting. TJ DeFalco and Thibaut Rosard have done a great job with that team so far. I definitely don't think he would start over Thibaut Rosard. And TJ DeFalco versus Julian Lineal right now. Hmm. Maybe Julian Lineal a couple years ago, a few years ago, in his, more in his prime. But TJ DeFalco's on the upswing and Julian Lineal's kind of on the downswing of his career. Not, not too old at 30 years old, but... I don't know. In my mind, he was not going to be a starter anyway. Probably more of a defensive sub if TJ DeFalco or Thibaut Rossard were, were struggling with their reception. So, yeah. I mean, it sucks. I think this is a bigger deal for France, the French national team, than it is for Vibo Valencia. Because Julian Lineal is the guy who they've kind of gone to beside Irvin Engapet in a lot of cases. Is Thibaut Rossard the better player right now? Is he the second best French outside hitter right now? For sure. I think he is, but we've seen this a couple times before for Thibaut Rossard, where he doesn't quite play at the same level on Team France that he does in his club seasons. And it's always nice to have another good receiver on that team so Tony Udi can work his magic. And, you know, they have so many other good hitters on that French team, especially in the middle. So, yeah, a bit of a blow for France's Olympic hopes. And, I mean, prior to this, there's probably no excuse for Laurent Tilly to bring Kevin Tilly with Trevor Cleveneau playing like he is. Uh, Yassine Luati playing like he is, obviously Thibaut Rossard playing like he is, and then Irvin Engapet, no room on the roster for Kevin Tilly, but now uh, there might be a justification for taking him. And given the way he's playing right now, probably not a good call for France. The other little bit of news was Simone Parody, the Italian outside hitter, who, you know, easing his way into volleyball retirement, played in Zaxa last year as a bench player, got thrust unexpectedly into a starting role. He's playing A2 in Italy this year, probably close to family, just chilling. And now Rusovia, two devastating injuries, one to Nicholas Szeszczyn, who's going to be out the entire season, which is horrible because he was having a great year uh, so far, really promising Polish-slash-French-slash-American player. And also Robert taught the Estonian outside hitter, also out with injury. So they really needed someone to bring in to play beside Clement Cibulge and 
parody, I guess, was the best guy on the market. It's too bad that Teen Air and Out got signed, what, like a week, two weeks before this? Because he would have been a great candidate to play with Rusovia uh, in this role be- beside his uh, national team teammate, Clement Chebulj. So too bad, bad timing. Simone Parody was actually better than we expected, I think, in Zaxa last year, considering uh, he's kind of an over-the-hill player. We'll see if he can replicate that this year and uh, hopefully buy some time before maybe uh, Robert Tack comes back. And, I mean, they do have Raphael Bouchek, who, you know, is, was still pretty good at volleyball up until a couple of years ago, but has, has not looked great when he's been in the court this year so far. So let's start off our match recaps for the week with some Champions League Volleyball. Insane week for Champions League Volleyball with five tournaments going on between the uh, two genders. Unfortunately, there were some last-minute COVID infections which prevented Arkas Izmir, the Turkish team, and Yastrzebski Vegil, the Polish team, from participating in their respective tournaments. I'm especially sad for Yastrzebski because they would have been the same pool as Zenit Kazan. And as you guys remember, last year, they were the giant killers. They were the king slayers of Zenit Kazan. Beating them twice before Zenit Kazan was knocked out uh, before the quarterfinals, which is like the first time that's ever happened. They were, I mean, you guys know the deal with Zenit Kazan. They pretty much won the last half of the decade of Champions League every single match up until Lube dethroned them in the Superfinals 2019. But unfortunately, we didn't get that rematch. Zenit Kazan stomped their pool pretty easily. The only game it looked interesting was against Ljubljana on Thursday, where Ljubljana actually took a set off of them. It's kind of a fun team. Achvali Ljubljana, the Slovenian club. I really liked the Iranian middle, Amir Tukte, who I've talked a few times about maybe as maybe one of the more promising middle blockers coming up. But it looked really good. It's got great hops. Got a nice, still developing jump serve. And this is the kind of the first time I've watched him seriously play in club competition. So definitely a guy you're going to see more and more of on in Iranian national team competitions like VNL, World Champs, Asian Championships, etc. Zaxa, Kedzirz, and Kozil was the most successful team on the men's side, not dropping a single set throughout the week, including two domestic rivals. PG Skrell Belsatov, who took them to five sets just a week ago. So, you know, beating them th- three straight sets this time. And we didn't see Taylor Sander. That was the Tuesday match. So, you know, we weren't expecting him, didn't see him. But then on Wednesday night, American volleyball fans all across the globe let out a little cry of glee as they saw their man, outside hitter Taylor Sander, take the courts against Lindemann's Alst. That's right, Taylor Sander, after 18 months, a failed season in Russia, a lot of setbacks with his shoulder, is finally back in action. Looks pretty good, vertical, as good as it's ever been for Taylor Sander, jumping nicely, 8 for 13 in this one, 3 blocks, passing decently, even got an ace in there, got a block in there, so good news is that he didn't look like he's rushed back. You know, they really took his time. They could have they could have used him in the Plus Liga so far. Skra's been uh, struggling quite a bit so far. But it's interestingly enough, Wednesday night was the only day he played. So I guess it's, he's going to be on a bit of a restriction coming back at first. So maybe if they have multiple games in a row or, or a couple games within three or four days, then he's not going to play in both of them. But still, a great sign for Skra Beltatov. 
And, you know, it's needed at a time where Milan Kadic was really taking away a lot from the team, in my opinion, really bringing down the levels of the starters. I mean, every other starter, maybe not Kakuru Paichaki, but everyone else has, has been doing a really good job. Even Bartosz Filipak has been playing quite well so far. So great to see uh, Taylor Sander back. We also saw Dusan Pekovic in this one. So I'm not sure. Maybe we'll go see the lineup that we thought Skra was going to have at the beginning of the season with Dusan Pekovic at opposite and Taylor Sander, Milada Badapur, Biniak, Karl Kloch, Kapgur Baichaki, and also Gregor's Lomage. That's a pretty good lineup, and that's why I had Skra as a potential Champions League contender at the beginning of the season. We'll see how it goes. I think I think Skra put themselves in a good position to qualify as one of the second-place teams with their performance so far. And hopefully by the time the playoffs roll around, they're healthy enough to make a push. And finally, the third pool taking place in France. Felt bad for Tours in this one because the only other team they had a chance against, which was Arcus Izmir, didn't show up due to COVID-related issues. So yeah, Tours hosted this tournament just to get absolutely beat up by Sir Safety Perugia and Cucine Lube Civitanova, both beating them 3-0, although... The game against Chivatanova was a little tight, but anyone who's been following tours this season, probably not that surprised. They have been struggling compared to their usual domination of the French League. They lost quite a few strong players in the offseason, didn't really replace them uh, adequately, which I went over in my Champions League preview podcast, and that's kind of holding true so far. So the matches weren't that exciting, to be honest. The one that we were all looking forward to I mean, we got to see it quite a few times in the in the Italian league already, but Perugia versus Lube Civitanova, and it was a really fun match. Definitely the funnest match of the week, in my opinion. Lube Civitanova winning 3-1-25-22-22-25-25-20-25-23. And despite the 3-1 score, this was a very tight game. First two sets, both kind of going down to the wire. The end of the first set, Wilfredo Leon making a couple unusual mistakes in attacking air and then getting blocked to lose this set. Second one, Perugia came back a lot stronger though. We're dominating most of the second one. Lube almost came back though. And Heinen like just about exploded how angry he was, his ranting and yelling. Classic Heinen things. And then Lube. Just a little too much down the stretch for Perugia. Did not make a lot of mistakes in terms of reception and in terms of attacking, hitting 53% for the game. Got blocked 14 times, but other than that, some pretty good hitting percentages. And I think this goes to show like how much of a difference Luciano De Cecco makes to a volleyball team because the way Lube runs their offense is just so much smoother than Perugia. And it was kind of the similar thing as last year. Perugia had the nice you know, tough to predict offense rather than this year where it's just a lot of high balls going out to Wilfredo Leon and Oleg Plotnitschke, which is totally fine. Those players can take high balls and do, do amazing things with them. But it's definitely a nicer looking, smoother, faster offense with a setter like Luciano De Cecco running the show as opposed to Dragon Travica. We even saw Zmeni Wantarena have a couple of nice sets in, in this one. He's really kind of developed as a second setter over the last few years. Got a really nice pair of second hands. Probably one of the best outside hitters with the second set of hands. I would say those, Osmani Wantarena is really good at that. Milada Badapur actually on Scraw. Great pair of second hands. And of course, Irvin Engabet, who even set a quick to Artem Volvich in a game where he was playing a setter this week. 
Yeah, so Lube, definitely the better team in this game. We saw Alexander Tanasevich play the first set, did not look that good. Still definitely, clearly not jumping at 100%. Definitely doesn't have his legs under him quite yet. On the bright side, Tyster Horst did a, a good job coming in. Hits 9 for 15, 5 blocks. Doing a very good job on Yoandi Leal in this one. So we'll see what happens in the next game. This game really, I mean, 3-1. The set scores don't look that close, but really, really could have gone either way. So that was it for Champions League. We have one more tournament happening next week in Rosolare, which should be a fun one. Nak Rosolare obviously participating, hosting the tournament. Verva Rosava, Kuzbas, Kemerovo, and Modena. And... Yeah. Given the way Moden is playing right now, they better turn it around for next week because they can't play like this against uh, against some tough Champions League competitions, losing in straight sets to Trentino last week, losing to Valencia the week before, losing to Monza before that. So not a great run here for Morena. In this game against Trentino, I mean, Trentino has been playing pretty well recently. Uh, actually started Micheletto in this one at outside hitter beside Lucarelli. I mean, I'm not sure if Dick Coy's having some injury trouble or, or recovering from COVID trouble, but I mean, I kind of like <laughs> Micheletto in a lot of ways better than Dick Coy. I mean, Micheletto is a great receiver for his size. He's huge, like 6'10", 6'11". Definitely not the most technical attacker right now, but I think he's improving so, so rapidly at this point that could be worth taking a risk and seeing what you have with uh, Micheletto and running with him for a few weeks here. On the other side of the net, the outside hitters for Modena not doing a good job here. Daniele Lavia rapidly, rapidly looking like not a uh, not a good prospect for Italy compared to Micheletto. Three for 19 with two airs in this one. Almost the spooky negative hitting percentage. And then also Nemanja Petric, who... I was a little surprised by a strong start to this season because I feel like Nemanja Petric, okay, he played well at Eurovolley 2019, but other than that, has not really had too many strong performances or at least strong performances that he's able to string together over the past kind of three, four years. So I think it's his uh, consistency is starting to show. He's starting to get a bit fatigued, a bit banged up. Three for 11 in this one. Three receiving errors with only 11% perfect passing. So rough one for Nemanja Petric. I mean, it's tough for Modin to figure it out what to do with this group of outside hitters. And teams are just avoiding Grabenikov, trying to not serve him as much as possible. He only got 13 serves compared to 18 and 22 for uh, Petric and Lavia on this one. So yeah, tough one for Modena. Going to have a tough week with Champions League here. And not a good time in this season to be playing poorly. We also had Padova beating Sisterna 3-1 in the battle to avoid last place. This might have actually been the most significant game of the season in terms of standings. Maybe Modena as well, depending on how things turn out. But yeah, Sisterna really not looking good here at the bottom of the standings, especially against a team that I kind of predicted would get relegated in Padova. Really weird game here as Sisterna hit like a really good percentage. 59%, 47 for 79 and really 14 errors is not a crazy amount of errors considering how many swings that is. Julio Sabi hitting 18 for 34. Kevin Tilly 7 for 9. Tobias Creek 6 for 6. So yeah, decent offensive performance. The real kicker here though was 15 
reception errors. There's way too many. Five for Luigi Randazzo, who also was their worst attacker at six for 14 with five errors. Really rough time here for Mr. Luigi. Kevin Tilly, five reception errors. Also not good considering that's supposed to be his uh, strength. Also the most targeted player on the team with 33 targets. Domenico Cavicini, who I like, is one of the probably the best libero receivers in the Italian league with three errors. So yeah, just bad time to have an off day for Cisterna. Also making an absurd 25 service errors. Five for Creek, six for Sabi. Kev, five for Kevin Tilly and four for Cavuto. So, so yeah, really sloppy game here. Absolutely inexcusable amount of uh, errors from Cisterna. Again, like I've said before, their roster is pretty talented. They're, there's no way they should be at the bottom of the t- uh, standings. And yeah, just kind of embarrassing that they lost to a team. Actually, I like Padova has good players, but they should not be losing to Padova, let alone losing 3-1 on like the back of... How many errors? 25 service errors, 15 <laughs> receiving errors. That's 40 plus 14 attacking errors, 54 errors. Rough day for Sisterna. Last game from Italy I'll talk about here, Lube versus Ravina. No Simon for uh, Lube. Sloppy in the first set. No Wantarena to start either. After a strong start from Ravina, though, Lube had to bring in the big guns. Wantarena coming in halfway through the second set. Raven up two nothing though. Wantarena couldn't 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 help them in the second set, but Lube man they flip a switch and they decided to win this match and that's what they did, winning the next three sets pretty comfortably 25-21, 25 15-8. Wantarena MVP in this one, came in saved the day, but also Eric Lepke looked pretty good on the side of Ravenna. Hit 16 for 26 in this one, and I think at this point is pretty clearly their best offensive option, in my opinion. They go to him a ton in the back row from position six. He's really starting to develop a much better connection with uh, David Seda. And I mean, he's kind of a weird player to set, I would say, because he likes to do a couple styles of attacks that pretty much no other player does, including a ton of block wipes, which he loves to do if he gets a uh, ball on the far outside in position four. Also, obviously, loves to hit a bomb back row ball. But I think the hero of the day here was Yoandi Liao, who I think I criticized a couple podcasts ago that he's kind of been fading into the background a bit here in Luby Chivtanova, that there's other players on the team who are stealing the limelight in a lot of games. And I think the last week or so, he's, he's proven himself that he's still an integral part of what they're doing in Lube. He's still one of the top 10 outside hitters probably in the world 27 points in this one didn't get the mvp but in my opinion the most important player in the match and has looked really good looked really nice in attack using hands super effectively just getting so many tools and doesn't really have too much of a line shot but if you give him any cross he is going to drill it right on the attack line between positions four and five really tough ball to dig and there's not many players who do it like Uandi Leal. Maybe Wilfredo Leon also has a really nice sharp cross, but Uandi Leal is definitely one of the best in the business. Not going to spend too much time here on Poland and Russia because with the question answering, this podcast going to be long enough. But I guess the biggest news here is that 
Dynamo Moscow, who, if you didn't know, is, has been undefeated in the Russian League, which might be surprising if you, the only time you've watched them was that second round of Champions League where they lost 3 nothing to Trentino. But nope, they were undefeated until losing to Fekel Novi Uringoy. Dmitry Volkov popped off in this one, 21 for 43, attacking 24 points in total, putting the team on his back. Whereas his counterpart outside hitter on the other side of the net, Yaroslav Poldyshnek, 17 for 23, attacking, blocked six times. And that's why Dmitry Volkov is on the Russian national team and Poldyshnek is not. We also saw Lokomotiv Novosibirsk beats Earl Ufa, the team with uh, Machi Muzai and Gord Perrin, 3-0, which, I don't know, given how Lokomotiv Novosibirsk looked in Champions League, I'm a little surprised that this one was such a blowout. I mean, they did have Elias Kirkhev back, but still no Konstantin Abeyev. And I don't know, to be honest, from what I saw in Champions League and what I saw of this game, not a huge fan of Alexander Voropeyev. But still, getting the job done, a lot of high balls, a lot of messy plays, but still a 3-0 is a 3-0. And tough loss for Ula Ufa, who may be starting to feel a bit of heat in the pan in this one, standing at 6-6 six six right now in 7th place in the Russian League. Not much going on this week in Poland with most of the teams tied up in either Champions League or Coronavirus. However, we did see Rysovia lose 1-3 to Lubin. Not a great game for them. First game from the previously mentioned Simone Parody, hitting 7 for 15 in his first match. Not bad. And like I said, Rafael Buszek, not looking good at there. Started 2 for 8 with 5 errors. So, yeah, very negative attack percentage. And good subbed off for Simone Parody for a good reason. Also, Jeffrey Jendrick starting the game on the bench, which, you know, seems a little crazy considering... The other middles they're starting aren't really like super top tier guys, but Jeffrey Gendrick, for whatever reason, I mean, I love the guy. I think he's clearly, in my opinion, the third best middle for Team USA right now, but he's been struggling a little bit this year in Rosovia, not having a killer season, only hitting 52% on the season, which for a middle with his like level of explosive attacking power and athleticism, like seems a little low to me. He would definitely be a guy who I see hitting in the high 50s, low 60s. I don't know. For for whatever reason, Rosovia over the last few years have been kind of where otherwise pretty strong players. They just put on the Rosovia jersey and they play a lot worse. I'm not sure what it is. Not sure if it's something about the way they train. Maybe there's some mold in the uh, showers in the practice facility. I don't know what it is. But for whatever reason, Rosovia every year, their players underperform and therefore the team underperforms. And it's happening again, so I, I'm not sure what's going on with this team. Other than the injuries, of course. Those are definitely a factor. All right, so like I mentioned at the start of the episode, you guys asked some great questions on Instagram. I mean, most of them are great. Some of them a little questionable. You guys know who you are. But I will do my best here to answer as many as I can. Kelsey Dines first question asks, what do you think is Leon's big biggest weakness? And despite being the best player in the world, Leon does have a few weaknesses, including passing, tipping, off-speed shots. But I would say he shored up a lot of those. Vidal Hanen, as I've mentioned in uh, one of the last couple episodes, has, has done a really good job on improving some of Leon's weak points. But one area that I really do not see Leon using at all is kind of 
He's improved on his tips for sure, but kind of block uses and roll shots, the kind of beach type shots. And then like what Eric Lepke does, for example, if you're watching those against Ravenna, using the block in really smart ways, wiping and um, kind of playing off the block. First of all, Leon definitely does not need to do that a lot of the time. And he is, he just started incorporating tips at all into his game before it was either a full power hit or like a free ball set over the net. So yeah, I would say if he adds that element to his attacking, which again, he probably doesn't need to at this point in his career, and at this point is athleticism, I would say for now that's his biggest weakness. And Gumja asks, Young setters of Canada after Tokyo 2021. So I'm not sure how young you mean. I mean, there's guys like Byron Ketarakis who are, I believe, 95, 96. But if you want to go even younger than that, I think two of the best guys are both, of course, playing for Trinity Western, Matthias Elser and Derek Epp. Epp called up to the... Uh, Canadian national team for the World Cup due to a couple injuries. Both big guys at like 6'5", 6'6", both with a really nice hand. So classic, classic Canadian setters who are way oversized. And I mean, the key is just the game sense and intelligence to set at the next level. Speaking of Canadian setters, Michael V 93 asks, why do you think that Brett Walsh is any good? I mean, I would say the main reason other than that, he's just like a super intelligent setter, in my opinion, one of the one of the most cerebral guys in volleyball, if you ever talk to him. I would say, yeah, just going by the team that he's transformed over the last couple of years, I mean, he did, he did an incredible job in Nak Rosolari. He was the absolute engine of that offense. One of the main reasons behind all their success the last couple of years, you can see that this year without him, they have been struggling in a very significant fashion without his ability to just generate tons of that offense. He's a very physical setter, got a bit of size, can block, and you know can play really tight at the net and i don't think he's like definitively better than jay blank now i think those two are really gonna have a tough time fighting it out for who's going to be the uh, starting setter on the national team if there ever is really a distinction but i think brett has done a great job stepping to that role kind of kind of unexpectedly tj sanders was probably without all his injuries was going to be the starting guy for definitely this cycle and maybe even the next cycle so he's done, a, he's done a great job running the teams very well that he's needed to you think your big asks best players at each position as of right now. I'm actually going to use this to give a shout out to a podcast I did the other week with VLA commentator and all around great volleyball guy, Rob St. Clair on the deep corner podcast. We had a great discussion there where I give my uh, top team, the best possible team that I can think of. So if you want to know the answer to that, go check out the deep corner, the episode with five one VB, which is me. And if you want to hear someone who's a little more eloquent talk about volleyball, then I would recommend checking out more of Rob's podcasts. Victor Petrov 93 asks, who are the top five coaches right now in your opinion? So I would say right off the bat, I mean, of course, Vidal Hainan. I think as difficult as he is to deal with sometimes, he's definitely still one of the most interesting and brightest minds in volleyball, really approaches the game from a different angle, does a great, great job developing his team and I always am interested to see how players um, develop new skills under him if I if I was a player I would be begging to join a Vidal Hannon team just to you know figure out so we can figure out what's wrong with this game little things I can adjust and how, how I can improve my volleyball for example I remember when Robert Tott played there I think it was last year even though we barely played throughout the season you can see this year at least before he got injured that his spin serve reception was a lot better 
He was jump. He was jumping a bit less. He was a bit more controlled in his reception, which I thought was a an interesting improvement that Vidal Hainan made on his game. Ooh, other coaches other than Hainan, I'm gonna go with a woman here with a couple of women's coaches. I really like Giovanni Guidetti, similar to Hainan. He seems to bring a ton of energy to his game. Really good kind of motivational speaker in the locker room. Also like Felix Kozlowski, the German national team coach, all around good guy. One of the guys who got straight into coaching, wasn't a really a big player before. And I, I feel, I don't know, maybe it's because I was <laughs> never a professional player either, but I always appreciate coaches that can come from kind of a different background, not a big shot player, and still just grind and grind and just and get to have a huge coaching gig, get to the top of the coaching pyramid without having kind of a name brand as a player to rely on. Definitely going to have to go with my man, Vladimir Elekno who, I mean, you just saw how different of a team that Zenit Kazan was last year without him. Even with Alexei Verbov, who had been being coached by Olegno for so long, knew all of his little tricks, couldn't replicate the job that Vladimir Olegno does, and he just makes all his teams so much better. They're so disciplined when they're playing under him. But also, you know, they're all business, but they, they're not afraid to have a little bit of fun. And I don't think any players really dislike playing under him. I mean, probably some of that is Maxi Mikhailov, Brings a lot of leadership and solidarity to the team as well, but he's definitely my top five coaches as well. And then to round out the list, I mean, it's kind of weird choosing a coach that's not currently coaching right now, but Mark Lebedu, I think, is the Australian national team coach, coached um, Zavierci last year. And I don't know, like, it's an absolute travesty that he's not coaching a team right now because he's a volleyball genius. If you've ever read his uh, articles or his blog, At Home on the Court, if you don't, if you're a fan of this podcast and you don't read all of Mark Lebedu's stuff, I mean, it's the exact same audience, I would imagine. So I would highly recommend you go check that stuff out. And all his teams overperform. He's kind of got a bit of a money ball approach using analytics and statistics to find players with lots of value. And I would really like to see him coaching a big name club soon in the future because Kind of like Vidal Hainan, he's not afraid to to question conventional wisdom, think outside the blocks, and I think that brings a ton of value as a coach. And I think, I mean, it's absolutely hilarious how much statistics are undervalued and underdeveloped in the game of volleyball right now. So any coach that brings that level of statistical analysis to the game is a huge asset in my book. Salpaslan8 asks, which teams do you think will qualify for Eurovolley 2021? And your favorite player on that team. All right. So, yeah, if you guys didn't know, Eurovolley 21 qualifiers happening pretty soon. We have a couple pools happening in January and then the rest happening in May. Not every country could host um, a tournament due to the COVID situation. But anyway, I'll just go real quick here, pool by pool. Pool A, I think Croatia has a quite a nice team right now. Favorite player, Marco Sedlicek. Also, Timothy Zukowski having a great season. Unfortunately, oh, that's a tough one. Netherlands, too. Oh, I, I don't know. Even though Namir is playing amazingly, I, I really don't see anyone else from that Dutch team stepping up. I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna uh, give a bold response, Croatia, here. Pool B in Israel, easy one. Bulgaria is going to qualify. Love, Martina Tanisov. Pool C, Turkey, another easy one here. Love the youth movement in Turkey, both the Lagumzija brothers and Efi Bayram. Fun to watch. We actually did have one tournament in September that already took place with the Latvia qualifying for the first time for Eurovolley 21 in quite a while. Pool E's tough one to predict. Not a ton of strong teams in here, 
but probably would have to pick Slovakia if I had to pick one of those teams. Pool F, I like Greece the best. Hilarious in Eurovolley 19 when they qualified for, I think it was the eighth finals by like one point because they were tied in points, sets, everything was tied up until like the set ratio or set quotient or point ratio. Funny moment there. And then Pool G probably, ooh, Belarus or Portugal. Tough one. I'm going to have to go with Portugal. Just a bit more of a consistent volleyball country here. And for Portugal, I like I really like their middle blocker, Philip Kvetikanen. That's probably a little tough of a pronunciation there, but Philip C-V-E-T-I-C-A-N-I-N. If anyone knows how to say it, please let me know. Gustavo Hellstrong asks, why are you not uploading YouTube videos as frequently as, for example, two years ago? Just not enough time mainly. Those YouTube videos take like dozens and dozens of hours to research, record, and edit. So they're very, very time consuming. Also, I have a demanding full-time job. So between the podcast and the Instagram and editing and watching all the volleyball and doing the YouTube, it does take quite a bit of time to get those put together. But I would like to upload more. I'm kind of floating around a couple of concepts that would maybe require less editing time so I can post more frequently. Arid Porat asks, is there a website to fully look up a team's roster in the Italian league? And boy, do I have the website for you. Volleybox.net is like the most amazing website for a volleyball fan ever. They have every single player, every league, and you can, it's so like well put together. You can click from a player to a league to some random other ranking of anyone. Anyway, go to that site. You can go to uh, the champ or the Italian league tournament expand the roster and see every single player in the league. So really good way of doing things there. Great website. Aaron Friedley, longtime listener of the podcast, asks, what rosters benefit slash suffer the most because of the Olympics being pushed back? I mean, I think one of the rosters that clearly benefits the most is the American roster getting Taylor Sander back because, I mean, given the way things played out, he clearly would have not been able to play uh, had the Tokyo 2020 Olympics been played in their original time slot. So that is a huge boost for the Americans because, I don't know, I don't think they would have had a serious medal chance without Mr. Sander in the lineup there. So they definitely benefit the most. I mean, it's probably a little early to tell who's going to be hurt the most. Probably a team that's a little older. Russia definitely has a lot of players who could see a material difference in the level of their play and athleticism given one more year. Brazil also probably has a couple of guys who did not want the extra year of wear and tear on their bodies. Also teams that are a little younger, maybe had a couple of breakout players in the last year. Teams like maybe France with Barthelemy Chininez or Argentina with Luciano Polanski and Augustin Luzer. Maybe another year of development for those quite young guys could have helped a lot. But yeah, definitely the Americans are the only one that stands out to me that really just uh, are so relieved that the Olympics got delayed a year. Magnus Burr asks two questions. The first, how would you rank the top 10 club teams in the world across all national leagues? I mean, that'd be a good one if you wanted to do even a full podcast on it. So I might do that. Sorry. <laughs> Next one uh, for Magnus Burr, who would you rank as the top five, five float servers in the world? This is a, a little tough one because, I mean, some of my favorite float servers are kind of more hybrid servers. So 
So I'm going to cheat with a couple who do do a lot of float serves and have really devastating float serves, even if you didn't include their spin serves. And that's Matej Biniak and Alex Schlifka, both on the Polish national team, a team that loves to do the hybrid serves. Matej Biniak especially, like his float almost looks like a spin because it's going so fast. And obviously one of the best middle servers in the game. Really tough to pass. Great server. I also have to say Jorgi Seganov of the Bulgarian national team has this really crisp, really nice flat float serve. Ivan Yakovlev on the Russian national team has a nasty float serve as well. I think you're kind of seeing a bit of a uh, theme here. Float serves can be a lot more effective when you're hitting down onto the ball. I mean, I think that's why you see the float serve a little more successful relatively in women's volleyball than men's because it's a lot harder to pass a float serve that's dropping from a higher point. You've probably seen it yourself if you've played a particularly nasty middle jump float server, those things can drop like a rock sometimes. But I think definitely, in my opinion, the clear number one float server in this guy is mostly a float server, a little bit of spin serving here and there, but Graham Vigrass, the Canadian national team middle, is just an insane float serve. So fast, so powerful, yet still a lot of side-to-side, up-and-down movement on the ball. Don't know how he does it. And yeah, he, he's one of the only guys that is a credible ace threat being mostly a jump float server. McDoom asks, what the heck is your job? I work for the Confederate European Volleyball Confederation in the digital media department. So yeah, pretty neat job for a volleyball fan like myself. Air404 asks, do you think setters and middles shouldn't be overlooked? as overlooked as they are in MVP races at any international competitions. First of all, definitely. I mean, also think about when does a libero ever win an MVP award? It pretty much always goes to wings. I think setters do win it occasionally. Definitely setters, I think, have a pretty big case to win it more often. But setters already get a lot of attention. I think we need to give it more to middles. Cause, but I mean, the tough part here is middles only play half the points or and plus the serve, but still, it's, it's tough to say one player was the overall most impactful player when they don't even play every rotation. But I mean, I still think that a really great middle or setter performance should be given over, you know, an opposite that scores like 28 points, but does so like on decent efficiency. I think opposite is definitely the most overrepresented position when it comes to MVP awards. Cause I mean, come on, all they do is attack. It's not that hard. Sonder Finn asks, how do you think Viva Valencia will do for the rest of the season without Lineal? Well, he wasn't really doing much for them when they had him, so I think probably about the same, maybe maybe uh, regress to the mean a little bit. I don't think it's completely um, realistic. I mean, we've already seen with Thibaut Rosario, his percentages have started to drop, so I think they'll regress a little bit, but I still think they're an easy playoff team in the Superliga. Marius Denhart asks, who will win the Italian League? Who will finish third and fourth? For winning, I mean... It's still so close between Luby and Perugia. That, those are the two we thought were going to be the guys gunning for the top at the start of the season, and I think that's definitely the case, that they're still at the top. But I think the setting advantage for Cucine, Luby, Chivitanova is, is going to push them over the edge, even though Perugia has Wilfredo Leon. I, I think Lube will be the champions this year. As for third and fourth, I think Milano, even though they've struggled a couple of games, still looking really good. 20 points, 7-5, fourth place in the league. I think they'll probably jump to third. 
And then fourth place, I think it's either going to be Viva Valencia or Trentino in fourth place. Even though Trentino has a few games to make up, I mean, they still have more than enough time to start going on a big win streak here. Volley International has a few questions here. First one, isn't Namir too easily getting stuffed on block and air prone on attacks to be the best opposite in the world? It's a good observation because that is definitely my biggest criticism of Namir Abdelaziz. And I think most people is that he's really prone to just slamming the ball into the block and not allowing any continuations or any opportunity for his defense to try and make a play. But I still think with the serving, the blocking, and just the, the efficiency right now, I mean, he's basically either getting killed or getting blocked. And yeah, that's not ideal. But when your attack percentage is so much higher than every comparable player, then I think it's it's enough of a difference in the amount you're scoring to make up for the amount of continuations you're giving up. Also, second question, are hard tips, I guess, kind of wipes or, or playing with the block, killing volleyball? There's zero tips like this 15 years ago, and volleyball was better. Um, I'm going to have to hard disagree on that. I, it's one of my favorite plays to watch. It keeps blockers honest. It's, it, you know, it can be frustrating to play against, but you know, I think it really just goes to show. I think it's to be honest. I think players are just way more skilled now. I don't think that's a, a move a lot of players maybe twenty years ago could have pulled off. I think the ball control and touch on for modern players is just at the level where a lot of them can. You know, they're so comfortable looking at the block and, and playing with the block that they can do moves like this. And now, I mean, it's not like an auto score a lot of the time. It's still it's still tough to score with, especially against good blockers. But so no, I would say I would say definitely not killing volleyball. And I actually say the opposite. I think it makes it more interesting. Last question from Volley International: Spertoli or Seda as the backup setter for Tokyo? Probably still Spertoli. He's familiar with the system. He's familiar with the players. Seda's probably has the nicer hands right now, better decision making, but. It's a bit of an outlier season for Seda. If maybe it's the environment in Viva Valencia, maybe it's the players he's setting, but I think uh, I think they should stick with Spertoli, and you know Spertoli a bit of a better server too, which sometimes comes into play. Logan Mueller asks, who is the best float serve in the world right now? Answered that earlier. Graham Vigras. Jeff ABC eighteen asks, twenty twenty one Olympic men's Canada indoor starting seven. Good good podcast for the Canadian fans out here. Um, yeah, a couple of interesting decisions to make there, but definitely Mar and Perrin as the outside outside hitters. Definitely Vigras is one of the middles. Second middle is really interesting between Arthur Schwartz, uh, Daniel Jens van Doren, Lucas van Berkel. But and you know Arthur Schwartz have been playing really well this year. But I'm probably going to have to go with Lucas van Berkel just for the blocking advantage. We're probably not going to need. Or this second middle to provide a lot of offense given the other players on the team. So I like Van Berkel and then starting Libero, Blair Ban, probably with Stephen Marshall's backup. Setter is also interesting. I mean, a couple of years ago, you would have said TJ Sanders is, of course, the automatic guaranteed 100% lock, one of the biggest locks in the entire sport. But unfortunately, things have not been great for TJ Sanders the last couple of years with all his back injuries. So I would say likely Brett Walsh, but it could easily be Jay Blank now. I think it's going to come down to who's vibing better with the rest of the starters in training camp. And then opposite, probably Shawan, I would say. Very probable it's Shawan, but could be Ryan Sclater as well. Again, depending on who's playing better in training camp and who 
Hogue likes better at the time. And of course, the question we have to end with every time, Antonio Giro7 asks, who's the best men's volleyball player in the world? Is it Leon or anyone else? I mean, you answered the question in your question. Still Leon. We still have yet to see anyone. I would say there's still a pretty sizable gap in terms of who provides more valuable value to the team between Leon and any other player right now. Anyway, that's a lot of questions to get through. Thanks, guys, for sending those in. Always some interesting ones to answer in there. Definitely a bit of COVID going on throughout the leagues this week, but we still have one tournament in Champions League, as I mentioned earlier, and hopefully squeeze in a few games of Italian, Polish, and Russian League in between those. We hope you guys enjoy the podcast, and I hope you enjoy your week. Talk to you next time.